0: Well, good morning, Indian Rocks. My name is Philip. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. It's my pleasure to be with you here this morning. Hopefully everyone had a very Merry Christmas this past week, had some good time. Hopefully everyone will have a good and safe New Year's coming up. And I figure as I start thinking ahead to New Year's, I imagine most people fall in either one of two groups. You're either someone that kind of wants to be in the middle of the action and you're going to, to see the fireworks or you're going to where there's a lot of people, or you're someone that's kind of, would rather stay at home, would rather watch it on TV, and that is if you even make it up for New Year's um, that evening. And I've kind of tended to fall more in this second group these last few years, but I did have a time where I kind of wanted to be in the middle of the action. And there was a time that I remember specifically back when I was in college. I went to college in downtown Atlanta, and one of the things that we, a group of friends and I decided we wanted to do one year was to go and see the peach drop. Now, you might not know what that is, it's kind of a, a slightly smaller version of what they do in, uh, in New York with the ball dropping, uh, it's, except they do it in downtown Atlanta with a peach. So we, we all went to downtown Atlanta, we took, this, we took the train system uh, to get there downtown, and, and let me tell you, there were people everywhere. I mean, we've got a picture up here on the screen of what it typically looks like. I mean, there's, it's a smaller version of New York City, but there's still about 100,000 people there. It's still pretty crowded, and I remember when my friends and I got there. We were trying to make our way through to try to find the perfect spot to try to get as close as we could, and it was hard to. There weren't a, there weren't any aisles you could walk down. You were kind of excuse me, pardon me, excuse me as you kind of made your way through, and and it didn't take me too long, unfortunately, to become uh, separated from the group that I that I came with. Uh, when you're around a crowd like that, it's easy to become separated, and it, I remember looking around for my friends, looking in all directions, seeing just a sea of people in any number of different directions. And yet, in that moment, feeling very alone. And I remember feeling just how ironic that was. It even, I, th- I think it even struck my mind at that point that I'm surrounded by people, yet I feel very alone. Maybe some of you can, can identify with, with a feeling kind of like that. Maybe some of you can, are feeling that a little bit this morning that you're here this morning, maybe you've just come a couple times, maybe you've been coming a while, and you're sitting around hundreds of people here here in the, uh, in the sanctuary, but yet you still feel very alone. And maybe maybe you're someone that, that, that wants connection, that tries to, to strive for connection. Maybe you've gotten connected on social media with Facebook and any number of different social media sites. And you've tried to find connection there, but yet, yet all you see there are things that you can't really relate to. People whose lives are all going perfect people who don't seem to have any problems, everything with their kids is just going great. And you can't really identify with that because my life has some, has some struggles. My life has some hard times that come and I can't really identify with that. So even in pursuing connection, I'm still sometimes left feeling kind of, kind of alone. Maybe some of you are people that purposefully isolate yourselves. Maybe, you, maybe you're someone that you've decided you're gonna keep everyone at arm's length. You'll let people get so close, but not too close. Because maybe you had a time in your life where people, people got really close to you. You let people get close and then you got hurt. Maybe it was through some form of abuse, some form of betrayal. Maybe you told someone something in confidence and it ended up making its way around, around the church or around the office or around the family or whatever it was. And now you, you're gonna let people get so close, but then you're gonna put on the brakes. And you're gonna and you're gonna sit back. Maybe, maybe you're a different group. Maybe you're someone that, that just chooses to be by yourself. Maybe you're someone that actually says, even as as I'm pursuing this Christian life, as long as it's just me and God, I'm in good shape, right? I mean, quite frankly, isn't it isn't it kind of weakness if I if I need other people in my life? And some of you hold that mentality instead. But I'm here this morning to, to tell you that, that there is another way, that God has another way for us. That God actually means for us to live life in another way. means for us to pursue life in another way. Here at this church, we like to say that we are, we are better together. And what and that's a couple of contexts for that. Yes, we are better together as a church, as we are functioning as the body of Christ, as we are each using our spiritual gifts in, in, in unique ways, horizontally alongside each other, as we are acting as the body of Christ in the community. Yes, we are better together that way. But we are also better together when we are in smaller groups and we are pursuing Christ because that's kind of the way we're meant to do it. So this morning, I wanna answer a few questions. I wanna answer why, why is it that we're better together? And how is this different from any other, any other group? I mean, I, okay, I've got, a, I've got a group of friends from, from the office. I've got, a, I've got a group of friends from, you know, from my kids' activities. I've got a group of friends and others. How is, how is what you're talking about any different than that? We're gonna, we're gonna see why we are better together. We're going to see how we can be that. And we're gonna get a picture of what's gonna ultimately result from that. So that's where, we're, that's where we're going this morning. But we're gonna start with this idea of why are, we, why are we better together? And my first point is that we were created to be better together. That we were created that way. We were created to be better together. We were created for relationships. And to start looking for this, we really just need to go back to the beginning or maybe a little bit before that. Because even, even before there was creation, there was God. And God was eternally existing, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the three persons of the Trinity, yet being one God in perfect community, exchanging perfect glory, perfectly sufficient in himself, not needing anything else. Jesus actually gives us a, a brief glimpse of this in John seventeen five. Where he is praying to God the Father and he says, and now Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So God was, God was being God. God was in perfect community amongst the persons of the Trinity, exchanging perfect glory, perfectly sufficient. And then for some reason, he decided to create this world. He decided to create us. And as you know, as, he, as you walk through Genesis 1, you see how he created the, the world. And the last part of the creation, he decided to create something a little bit different. And he created us. He created mankind. And he created us differently in that he created us in his image. And he placed Adam... In the Garden of Eden and as and as 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 Adam was subduing creation and naming everything God sort of God was looking at it and and in verse Genesis 2 verse 18 the Lord God said it's it is not good that man should be alone I will make a helper fit for him and if you remember then he God puts Adam to sleep he takes one of his ribs and he forms Eve around around that rib and then you can just tell by the Adam's reaction when he wakes up, he, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. You can tell his mind is just blown as he sees this other part of creation that he was meant to have a certain level of community with that's different than anyone else, that's different than any other part of his creation. And they had perfect community with each other. They had perfect community with God until they didn't. Until they made the choice to disobey God, until they made the choice to trust what they wanted to instead of trusting God. And then the fall happened. They ate of the fruit that they were not supposed to eat, and the fall happened, and everything changed as a result. Everything changed. If you remember what happened right afterwards, God, God came down and looking for Adam and Eve, and what did they do? They hid. They hid and you even see just in the act of hiding alone there start to be, there 's starting to be that separation between them and God they don 't have that ultimate trust in him anymore they 're starting to feel shame they 're starting to to, to, to to hide so we see that that relationship now has distance in fact, that relationship is completely severed, and what it took was it took as Pastor Jeff talked about last week, it took god sending sending his son here to this world to die on the cross where I deserve to die, where you deserve to die, to pay the penalty for our sin. And when he he died, he then rose from the dead victorious over sin and death. So that when we place our trust in him, then what he did applies to us. And we can now have the relationship with God that we were meant to have, the relationship with God that we were created to have. Because we were made to have that relationship. We were made to have that relationship just as God is a relational God, so we are a relational creation made in his image. So we can now through Christ alone be restored to that relationship with with God. But it took a pretty big price. And in fact, when the fall happened, that wasn't the only relationship that was affected because yes, their relationship with God was severed, but their relationship with each other, Adam and Eve, was also really strained. If you look at Genesis 3, when that happened, God, remember, came down looking for Adam and Eve, eventually finds them, and he says to Adam, what what happened, what did you do? And the man said in verse 12 of Genesis 3, the, the woman that you gave to be with me, again, pointing the finger at God, giving God the blame, pointing the finger at Eve, giving her the blame. The, the woman that you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. So he refuses to take responsibility. Even though Adam passively stood right next to her when that whole action was taking place, he refused to take responsibility. He blames. So we're starting to see this, this distance in his relationship now from Eve. Because now there's mistrust there. There's blame that's there. We see, then God turned to to, to the woman. What is this that you've done in verse 13? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. See, even with her, refusing to take responsibility. And we see that this relationship was, was, was in which they had perfect community at one point was now strained. And the relationship now became kind of hard. And we knew that it was only gonna get harder. And for some of us, that's why we've, avoided relationships for some of us that's why we've decided to hide ourselves because relationships are hard they're not easy there's gonna be people that are gonna do things to hurt you unintentionally There's are gonna be people that 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 uh, do you wrong there's gonna be people that don't do everything for you that you want them to do there's gonna be assets There's gonna be miscommunication there's gonna be forgiveness needed there's gonna be all these dynamics that make relationships hard and so we hide we isolate ourselves. And In fact, scripture speaks directly to that. When you look at Proverbs 18.1, the writer writes that whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. So whoever, whoever isolates himself, whoever separates himself, seeks his own desire, seeks his own pleasure, seeks what, what he wants that he thinks will make him happy, seeks what he thinks will give him life apart from the input of anyone else apart from any community apart from anything else and it's just it's mind-blowing it goes against all sound judgment and you've maybe have made some of these steps or you maybe know people that have made steps in isolation and they have pursued things that they thought would give them life when in fact they gave them pain and hurt left them with scars in difficulty, A lot of times paths to addiction start out that way where someone makes a choice that leads to another choice that goes a direction that they never intended to go, but then it happens. There's actually an illustration that I saw a pastor give that I thought would be perfect in, um, to describe this. Uh, in the 1970s, 1980s, there was this, this big campaign, this big war on drugs that happened. If you remember right there, you, you would see blast. you would see uh, TV advertisements, you would see... Some of you remember the, the fried egg in the, uh, in the pan, you know, this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs. Some of you, you'd see kind of a rat running around and then keel over and die, Yeah, they actually showed that on TV. Uh, they, they, you would see that, again, this, this idea that, that drugs were bad, don't do drugs, just say no. That was how the, the campaign went. And a lot of the campaign actually went back to, to one experiment that was done where someone placed a rat in a small cage, and they had two different sources of water. One was fresh water on one side, and the other was water laced with drugs on the other. And inevitably, once the rat had a taste of that drug-laced water, he would always go back. Every time he would go back and have that one, and that one, and that one again, until it eventually killed him. So the results that they, that they saw from this is, well, if we can just keep people from, from going that direction, if we can just keep them from trying drugs, then we're gonna solve this drug problem. So we're just gonna say, just say no, don't even go there because when you do, bad things are gonna happen. Well, there was someone who actually followed up this experiment with another one, and they thought, well, yeah, if you put a rat in a cage by himself, yeah, he's, of course he's gonna do drugs. What else is he gonna do? What if we got a bigger cage? And we put this rat in a bigger cage. Still the same two water options. But now this is in a larger cage with other rats. And the results were were pretty striking when they did this. That while rats in cramped, isolated cages preferred drug-laced water, those in healthier, more social environments actually preferred the plain, fresh water. And they even went a step farther. They got one of the rats from the small isolated cage, addicted, and then they put that rat into the more social cage. And what they saw was, again, gradually over time, this rat went from going towards the drug-laced water to gradually preferring the fresh water. And it's amazing how we when we look at, at, at just how God has wired that end to even to even rats. And now I'm not gonna stand up here and say that the reason that people become addicted is because they are isolated. That is not the sole reason why people become addicted to drugs, but it's a contributing reason. It's a contributing reason where someone is, is looking for something and it leads them down this path towards this drug, which drugs usually, by the way, aren't the, the main problem themselves. Drugs are the medication that people use so that they don't have to face the real problem itself, um, but it takes them down this, this path but one thing that I can speak pretty, pretty sure of is that those who have come out of addiction almost always do it in the context of community. Whether it's through Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, whether it's through Celebrate Recovery, which we have here at the church, it's all done in the context of relationship, where there's, where there's other people around that can offer support, other people around that are offering encouragement, offering accountability in this very transparent environment. So there's something that's wired in us. We are created to be better together. We are created for relationships. It's in, our, it's in our wiring made in God's image. So that's the first point, is that we were created to be better together. The second point is that we are better when we pursue a greater trust in Christ together. We are better when we pursue a greater trust in Christ together. Now, there's one verse that I always come back to where, when I think about a pursuit of Christ and what it looks like. One verse that, in my mind, characterizes this pursuit as, as well as any other. And it's in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. 2 Timothy 2, verse 22 says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And when you look at this verse in 2 Timothy, you can really divide it up into three sections. You've got the first section that says, so flee youthful passions. Flee youthful passions. This idea of passions, this, these flee these lusts, these cravings, these, these desires. And notice that they're called youthful. Almost as if to say that it's something that someone pursued at one point in their life to try to find happiness, to try to find life and then they, they matured, so they realized just how fruitless that was. Maybe some of you can identify with some of that. But they, they at one point, they pursued these, these, these passions, they pursued these cravings, these, these desires, whether it was the pursuit of, of sexual desire, whether it was the pursuit of a desire for money, whether it was the pursuit of, of a lust for, for power or control, whether it was a desire to be admired, maybe a desire to be looked at a, a certain way by other people. Or maybe this this passion for achievement, thinking that if we if I pursue if I pursue one of those, then I'm gonna find life, then I'm gonna find fulfillment. But then we've come along since then. We've grown up since then, especially those of us in Christ, because we can we can um, we can ardently say that it's only in Christ that we find life. Life is only found in Christ. And we can look at these other things that we once pursued and say, I see how fruitless those were. I see how pointless, in fact, those were actually damaging. And now I see those as being something that's gonna keep me from Christ. Which is why here Paul tells him to flee. Paul tells him to run, to get away. There's a sense of urgency communicated here. Flee youthful passions. But he's not just saying to get away from something, he's saying to pursue something. He's saying to pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. He's saying to pursue righteousness, this idea of living rightly. He's saying to pursue faith, this idea of developing a greater trust, a greater dependence in Christ. He's saying pursue love, this idea of extending grace to others by seeking their highest good. He's saying pursue peace, this idea of resting in a relationship that we have with Christ, being content in him no matter what life throws at us. He's saying these are what we are to pursue. And when we look at any of those, we can clearly see that those are only found in Christ. In fact, it's only Christ that has the ability to change what my life looks like, to change my heart. Christ is the only one who has the ability to grow a greater dependence on on him in me. He's the only one that makes me view other people in a different way, maybe like he more views them. He's the only one that can give me this contentment, this peace that goes beyond all understanding. So ultimately, it's when we pursue Christ then all these other things just happen. So we're told here to to flee from these passions, to pursue Christ, but then we're told not to do it by ourselves. At the end of verse 22, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So as you're fleeing youthful passions, as you're pursuing Christ, to find other people that are fleeing youthful passions and pursuing Christ and to run alongside them to journey alongside them, to come, come together because we weren't made to pursue Christ alone. And now you may be looking at this and say, okay, well, that, I, I, see what you're, I see what you're saying there, but you still haven't told me exactly what that looks like. You still haven't told me, well, what, what does it look like to start taking steps in that direction? Well, you start by just looking at the context of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy was a book that the Apostle Paul wrote to a guy named Timothy. Uh, Timothy is someone who um, came alongside Paul. Paul got to know him during the second missionary journey. So they did ministry together. They um, experienced success together. They experienced persecution together. They had a lot of time together. So now that Paul is at the end of his life writing the last letter that he is ever going to write, he chooses, instead of writing it to a church, he chooses to write to an individual. A guy named Timothy, someone that he loves, someone that he mentored, someone that he viewed as being like a son to him, someone that he knew. Because as they went through everything together, I have no doubt that Paul knew him very well. Paul probably knew unquestionably what his gifts were, what his strengths were, what his weaknesses were, what his hopes were, what his dreams were, what his fears were, what his struggles were. Paul probably knew Timothy as well as anybody. And that's, why, and that's one of the things that helps him to specifically encourage Timothy. Like in 2 Timothy 1.7, where Paul writes to Timothy and said that God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Almost as if Paul knows that Timothy is someone that can give in to fear at times. He's someone that can be kind of anxious, so I need to specifically encourage him in this area. And I know that he has the Holy Spirit in him, so when the Holy Spirit is working in you, in you, Timothy, it doesn't look like fear. It looks like power. It looks like love. It looks like self-control. He gave him a specific encouragement because of how well he knew him. So that's really where biblical community starts. It starts by getting to know other, other people. And I don't mean other people as to, to talk about what happened in the football games yesterday or other people to talk about what the weather, how warm the weather's been lately or anything like that. I mean, really getting to know other people, spending intentional time with them to, to learn about kind of how God has made them to tick. What is, what is their personality? What does their past look like? What are, what are their hopes and their dreams for the future? What are their dreams for their kids? What are... What are the the struggles that they've had? Really getting to know people. But the challenge with that, with getting to know people, it's one thing to, to go and to be able to ask questions to someone else. It's a whole another thing when someone's asking me the questions. Because part of getting to know someone isn't just being intentional with other people. It's allowing people to get to know you. It's opening yourself up enough to where other people can really get to know you. And that takes a step of faith. It takes really trusting Christ. It's what he calls us to do. So it is a step of faith. Yeah, we want to trust each other. We need to be able to trust people that what we share is going to to stay confidential. We need to trust that it's a safe environment. I'm not going to want to go tell people if it's going to make its way all around the church or if it's going to make its way somewhere else. But ultimately, so there is a level of trust for people, but ultimately, it's a trust in Christ. It's an, am I willing to take that step of faith and trust him to get to know people, to allow myself to be known? I remember one of the times this was the hardest for me was when I was going through a, uh, going through recovery ministry myself. Part of going through a recovery ministry is you kind of picked out these areas that are these sinful habits, these, these areas of um, that, that you kind of struggle in these hurts, these habits, these hangups, as they like to say. And you start to figure out, okay, why are these here? What is the source of these? And you make it a few weeks into the, that process and you start to put together a, a self-inventory where you're starting to look at your past. You're starting to kind of map things out. And what that looked like for me specifically were, there, were several areas that I was challenged to really think back through in my past. One was any resentments that I had. So, okay, resentments. So I had to think, here's someone that I held resentment towards. Here's why I held resentment towards them. Here is the impact that it's had on me. Here's, the, here's what, where that led. And here's what the Bible says about that. All right, let's go to the next resentment. All right, here's the next person. And I would figure out all the resentments, thinking through all of those. And then I would think through, what are, what are the fears that I have? And I'd start listing those out and where I thought those came from. And then I would go through this category that was any, anyone, that had, uh, anyone that had harmed me. I'd list out the person. And I'd think through those details. And I'd think through anyone that I had harmed directly or indirectly. And I'd think, I would think that through. I would think through any sort of sexual sin that I had in my past. And I would put together this, this whole inventory, looking back at my past. But another part of going through this recovery ministry is that you have a mentor. Someone that's a little farther down the road, someone that's maybe a little bit more mature than you, uh, or than me in this case. And you have to show him that inventory. And I remember sitting, sitting at Denny's one morning, having breakfast in a booth, and I, I remember sliding it across the table to him and then just waiting as he read through it, just wondering. I mean, what's he gonna think of me after he really sees what's, what's been in my past, what I've struggled with? I mean, how is, how is he gonna lose respect for me when he sees some of the things that I've struggled with? And I remember waiting then I remember something surprising happened. When he, was, when he was done reading through all of that, he still accepted me. He was someone that still wanted to invest in me. He still wanted to pour into me. He still wanted to help keep me accountable and to encourage me as I went through this process. And something else surprising that happened is that I experienced more freedom in that relationship than I ever had in another relationship with a guy because never had I opened up my life completely for someone to see. But now there was nothing that I wouldn't tell this guy. He knew everything about me. And I knew that he still loved and accepted me. So there wasn't anything that I wouldn't tell him from then on. And that if we take those steps of faith, if we're willing to get to know people and allow people to get to know us, that Christ is gonna do something powerful. But then to realize too that that's only the first step the next step, after we get to the point where we want to get to know people and allow ourselves to be known, is to really focus on doing what the Bible says. Focus on doing what, what Christ said. In John 8, 31, uh, Jesus said, um, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. In 1 John 2, he said, And by this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So there's something about doing God's word that kind of, that sets us apart as believers. But I had one pastor and and author who made the statement that community isn't just what marks us. It is what God uses to make us. And if you think about that, if you think about what it looks like to to live out scripture, to do the, the one another's of scripture with each other, now, do you understand what I mean when I say one another's? Throughout scripture, there are a lot of commands. They say to blank one another, love one another, encourage one another. And I'll just go on and be upfront and honest. You know, whenever there's a one another, it's not something you can do by yourself. It involves at least one other person. So we see to love one another, we see to encourage one another, we see that these are things that we're, that we're commanded in scripture. And now you might be sitting here thinking, well, hold on, Philip, I can do those with anybody. I don't have to really get to know someone, to, to love someone or to encourage someone, I can do that with strangers. And I would say, you are absolutely right. In fact, I would raise you on that and say that's exactly what you're called to do. But then I would also wonder this, Yeah, you can love and you can encourage other people, but how much better can you do it when you really know someone? How much better and more completely can you really love someone when you know what makes them feel loved? How much better can you encourage someone when you know what that person's insecurities are? When you know what that person is striving to do in their lives? How much better and more specifically can you encourage them? So the context of relationship changes how we view a lot of these one another's, changes how more completely we can can live them out. Some of the other one another's of scripture are to to comfort one another, to bear one another's burdens, to to care for one another, to, to serve one another. And this is the group of people that as you're getting to know them, as you're starting to practice these one another's, this is kind of the people that you're doing life with. This is the people that that you're not just catching up once a week on what's going on in your lives and then going about your day. You're really investing in these relationships. So when something happens, these are the people that know. These are the people that respond. I mean, we as pastors do a lot of uh, hospital visits. Uh, to different people, when different members when they're in the hospital. And it's pretty easy to walk into a room and kind of tell how well someone's connected, how well someone is experiencing community. Because sometimes we'll walk in and we'll see people that are in the bed by themselves, and through talking with them, we'll discover that they've been by themselves for a while. In fact, they haven't really even told that many people that they're in the hospital. And we see that that's not someone that's embraced, someone that's enjoying the benefits of biblical community. Other people will go visit at the hospital and we'll see chairs sitting around the bed. These are people that are taking turns sitting with that person who's in the hospital, offering them encouragement, offering them support, offering them love, serving them in any way that they can. You walk to the waiting room and you see others who are just waiting their turn to go in to be able to do that. That's someone who's in biblical community. That's someone who is practicing the one another's of scripture in the context of relationship. We see other one another's like forgive one another can be a hard one. Live in peace with one another. Admonish one another or confront one another. Have you ever tried confronting someone that was a stranger? How did it go? I mean, it might, it might have gone well, but it might not have. It has the strong potential not to go well. But think about it, if if I'm confronting someone and I really know them and they know my heart, they know that I care for them, they know that I want what's best for them, how much differently are they gonna hear me when I confront them? They're probably a lot more likely to hear me than they would a stranger. So we're to admonish one another, we're to spur on one another towards love and good deeds. We all have times when things get hard and we can... Can, can fall into some apathy, and we need people to give us kind of the kick that we need. We're called to honor one another, to be kind to one another, to pray for one another. The community of people that God puts around us, these are the primary people that are gonna be lifting you up in prayer, the primary people that you are going to be lifting up in prayer. Confess your sins to one another. It's a good chance not too many people have probably done that with a stranger. A lot of people might not have done that in community, but it's something that we're called to do. And it's like so many of these, it's attached to a promise that if we're willing to take this step of faith, if we're willing to trust Christ and to take this step of faith, trusting that he's going to act in a powerful way. Because in James 5, 16, it says to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So there's a promise attached. That if I'm willing to to, to confess, to go there with a group of people, if I'm willing to pray for one another, that that's where healing is found. Just am I willing to to take that step? Because if I'm trying to pursue Christ, if I'm trying to live life apart from community, it's almost gonna be like trying to cook without all the ingredients you need. In fact, I tried to do that one time, it didn't, didn't work well. I had a time where my son, my oldest son was about four years old. And we, you know, we had, a, had a young family then and decided, you know, I want my son to grow up doing some of the things that I did when I was growing up. So I contacted my mom and I got, I got some of the recipes of things that we used to make around the holidays. And one of my favorite things uh, that we did was we would make cowboy cookies. Now, if you're not familiar with cowboy cookies, they are these little, these little oatmeal and chocolate, little bits of goodness that are just amazing around the holiday time specifically. And what my mom would do is she would, she would get all the ingredients, she'd put them together, she'd stir them all up, and then she'd call my sister and I in, and we'd, and we'd come in the room, and we'd start to get out the dough, and we'd roll it up, we'd put it on the cookie sheet, and we'd, we'd, we'd dot the cookie sheet, we'd put them in the oven. We th- I thought, that's what I want to do with my son. So, I got my four year old. We came in there. We, I stirred everything, got it ready. I, I, we, we, we lined the cookie sheet with all the balls of dough, put them in the oven, got them out at the perfect time. See, I'm an engineering background, so I can follow directions to a T. And I got, I, we got it out at the perfect time. They were just a little bit gooey, you know, a little bit gooey and warm. And I took that first bite of that cookie, and it tasted awful. It was horrible. Now, I had to, I'll be honest, I had to choke down the rest of the cookie because I had just made them with my four-year-old and I wasn't about to tell him that the cookie I just made with him was bad. But I got on the phone shortly thereafter and was like, Mom, what, what happened with, with this? This is what I did and I started going back over the recipe and ends up I had left out a vital ingredient. I would left out the white sugar. There was a lot of brown sugar in there. I, f- I thought that was enough. Apparently, there are a lot of sugar in cookies. There's a lot of sugar, so it needs brown sugar and white sugar. And I'd left out the white sugar. So even though what I'd hoped would come out as cowboy cookies, that's what I was trying to get. Ends up it came out as something completely different. And something, quite frankly, that was pretty bad. You see, when we pursue Christ and we leave out this vital ingredient, we leave out this vital element of biblical community, even though we want this fullness in Christ, we want this joy that's only found in Christ, we want a closer relationship with Christ. Oftentimes, when we leave out this ingredient, what we end up with is something that's altogether different. And sometimes, we end up with something that tastes kinda of bad. It's just a matter of if we're willing to take that, to take that step of faith towards biblical community. We, are, we were created to be better together. We are better when we pursue a greater trust in Christ together. And then there's the result, that biblical community leads to spiritual transformation. Biblical community leads to spiritual transformation. We're gonna look at a passage here in in Mark 2 that shows a a, a great glimpse, a great window, if you will, to what biblical community looks like. Now, I'll be completely honest, It's, it's, it's not the point of the passage. If you look at the passage and say, what is the point of this whole passage? It is that Jesus has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And that when Jesus claims that authority or when someone else claims that he has that authority, opposition is gonna rise. That's the point of the passage. But it also has in it this little glimpse, leading up to it, of what community in motion looks like and what can result from it. So imagine with me as we go through this passage what it might have looked like. Starting in Mark 2, verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So Jesus, uh, this is talking about Jesus. Jesus had been in Capernaum for a while. He had been teaching there. He'd been doing miracles there. His, he's, his, his name was starting to, 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 to travel the circuit. He was starting to become much more known. He was starting to become famous. People were hearing about and talking about what he was doing. And then he left. He left, he went on the road, he started doing these same things in other places. His fame continued to build and then he comes home. And he's almost kind of like the the celebrity that comes home or that comes back to a town, not necessarily home, comes back to a town and people were flocking to see him. Everyone wanted to, to come and see Jesus. Verse two, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. So people were coming, you couldn't get close, people were backed out the door, word was still spreading around to, to other people, and it eventually spread to this group of friends, this group of, of five guys. And I imagine like with a lot of groups, one of them heard it first, and one of them said, hey, Jesus! you remember Jesus, the guy that was going on? He's, he's back, Jesus, the one, yeah, he's back, yeah, he's back, and they were talking about it, and they were getting excited. Because one of their friends was, a paral- was, a, uh, was paralyzed. One of their friends didn't have the ability to walk. We don't know why. We don't know if this was something that he was born with. We don't know if this is something that happened sometime during his life. But one thing you could pretty well know about this guy is that he had some pretty hard days. He was someone that probably got kind of down from time to time because he was someone that probably got tired of everyone always having to serve him. He couldn't do things for himself like he wanted to. He probably got tired of the looks that people gave him because they thought that his paralysis was because of some sin issue in his life. He probably wondered about his purpose. God, what, are you, what do you wanna do with me? He probably had some, some ups and downs and some difficult times. So his friends over here had gotten kinda excited and then they probably approached him. Hey. Jesus. Remember Jesus? He's, he's back. We want to take you to him. You want to what? You, we, we want to take you to him. Maybe he was excited. Maybe this guy was like, well, yes, let's go. Maybe this guy was not. Maybe he had more had a mentality of, well, I don't really want another disappointment in my life. Uh, maybe he had to be talked into it. But regardless, we know that his friends, his four friends, got around him. They picked up his bed, which was really just a, a mat. They picked up his mat, probably in each corner. He probably got kind of crunched over in the middle of a little bit. And they and they headed out the door. They were going to go take him to Jesus. I don't know how far it was. Maybe it was just a couple houses down. Maybe it was a long a lot longer than that. Maybe it was a half mile away. Maybe a mile. I don't know. Maybe the maybe the uh, the the uh, paralyzed guy was. Um, maybe he was a pretty thin guy. Maybe he was kind of a big guy. We don't really know that either. But we know that they took him however far it was to get him to Jesus. And I don't know what the conversation looked like on the way. If they were having to, to encourage one another, if they were spurring on each other. I imagine there was some confrontation early on. But then they, 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 got the, they were making their way out there, and then their hearts sank. Because we've gone through all this to get our buddy in front of Jesus and now we can't even get to him. In fact, we can't even get to the door. There's people backing out the house. We can't even get anywhere close. And like what happens a lot of times with a group of friends, you've got this one friend that's more your out of the box thinker, more your creative one that says, well, I got an idea. To which the other ones, they might've rolled their eyes and oh boy, well, but they didn't have any other ideas. They were kind of stuck. He said, what if we take him to the roof? The roof? Yeah, the roof. The roof. We, we can take him up to the roof. The roof's pretty flat. We can, we can break, it, break a hole in the roof and lower it. Break a hole in the roof and lower it. We're going to get Jesus all dirty. No, we, we can break a hole. That's how we're going to get him to Jesus. Okay, so they, they went and they picked him up, put him on one of the, and they climbed up. They picked him up, put him on the, 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 the top of the house. Again, pretty flat. They, were, they, they went down. They were probably listening. Where is he? Where is he? Oh, I think I hear him. He's right here. And the roofs in that day were made of, made of sticks. They were made of mud that was kind of compacted together. So they started probably trying to bang it through, dig it out, um, tear it apart, get, get a hole big enough to lower someone down in. And there were probably, it was probably dirt that was falling on everyone down below. There was probably all kinds of stuff going on. But eventually they get this, this hole opened up. Verse three, and, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus, verse five, saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, your sins are forgiven. Now, I don't know who there is referring to when he saw their faith. I don't know if there could, it could be, could be talking about all five of them. But there's a good chance that there in this situation is talking about the four friends. When he saw their faith, he said, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes, verse six, were, were sitting there questioning their hearts. You don't do that around Jesus. We're questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. So you had this group of friends that loved their buddy and they knew that there's only so much we can do, but if we can just get him to Jesus. If we can just get him to Jesus, doing whatever it takes, having to confront him, having to encourage each other, having to spur on each other, having to to, to serve each other, having to bear each other's burdens, whatever it is, if we can just get him in front of Jesus, then Jesus can do what only Jesus can do. And in fact, what we see in this passage is Jesus actually did far more than they thought he would. Because not only did this guy leave walking, but he also left with his sins forgiven. So through the exercise of this community, this man's life was transformed. And I imagine he wasn't the only one. I imagine the four friends' lives were pretty well transformed as well. Because look at what they had the opportunity to be a part of. One of the areas that I have the privilege of, of, of helping out with here in the church is the, is the men's ministry. And what we try to do with the men's ministry is to get communities of guys to to come together, to to support one another, to be transparent with one another, to really apply scripture together. And I've seen guys doing that. I've seen guys taking that step of faith and I've seen God do some amazing things in the midst of that. And instead of me telling you all about it, I thought I would just let some of the guys who are a part of it speak for themselves. So if you would, please, please watch the screen up here.
1: So, uh, my name is Philip Neary. I've been going to Indian Rocks for about five years now. Joining the uh, men's group here has given me, um, it's given me an appreciation for what the Christian faith is all about. Um, I think once you get saved, it's kind of like a, you know, it's kind of like a euphoria, like a, it's kind of like the burden's lifted off of you, Um, you're forgiven, it's like everything's great, but I think the big thing that I've learned is that Not everything, (laughs) not everything is always great. Just as a believer, the truth of the matter is we're going to be walking through storms in life. And I think like just hearing different testimonies, it's just been a blessing to kind of hear and just be encouraged by some of the um, storms that people have walked through and just kind of how they've persevered and they've used that wisdom to sort of you know, encourage me when I'm, you know, going through stuff. Still, still being faithful, still being obedient in, in those tough times, and it's not always easy. Can't wait to, sh- like, even share like their personal stuff. It's just one of those things where it's like a freeing thing to be able to come in the community and just kind of share with with other people who have, have might have gone through the same situations you have. But he's a perfect father. He's not going to let you, you know, he's. We're gonna struggle, but he's not gonna. He's not, He's always gonna be with you, and you're gonna get through whatever you're going through, and it's always gonna be for for his glory. So just just an encouragement to just just hear from everyone who's, who who've been walking with with the Lord um, for a while. In Ecclesiastes uh, chapter four, part of verse ten says, "But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up." And so, to me, the thought of community in this church is so vitally important because there's people out there right now that are struggling with cancer there's people that are struggling with addiction there's people whose families are having trouble and this group of guys comes together once a week and they they build into one another's lives and they build each other up and encourage each other in the body of Christ if you've never been involved in a men's group it's pretty cool and uh, we've got a great group of guys that get together once a week and pour into each other and help each other. And uh, it's awesome. For me, the community in the church is really all the different programs in the church. Um,
2: I have seven children. My wife and I, we've been members of the church for about five years now. The children's ministry is awesome. My daughter's volunteering in the children's ministry. Ever since day one, being part of the church and going to dinner with the pastor, and. Getting involved in the discipleship programs that are here, uh, we've always felt uh, at home. And uh, that's the first church we've ever been to that we really felt at home. Specifically the men's group in my faith, I've been able to really mature in my faith. um, Mature in, in the way that I behave with my family and getting guidance from people that are men of similar mind that have gone down the path before me. Help me in just uh, the day-to-day issues that I have. The relationship that I've been able to build in the men's group specifically has been, been amazing because there are people that I can turn to. I believe one of the cool things about the community that we've been able to establish on Wednesday nights has been a room full of men that have common interests. Goals that are really to pursue Christ in their own lives. And what's really neat for me is I get to facilitate this. And so I get to see some of the miracles that happen on a weekly basis. In a community, there's this trustworthiness that that's created and, and the guys come together and they band together in a way that you don't understand until you're part of it. I had no clue how incredible and the strength that comes with community until I was part of it. And because of that, I have to come back. I have to come back. Amen, absolutely.
0: One pastor and author says that if you're around any faith community, there are two things that will shock you. How little some people change and how much other people change. The single greatest determining factor of which group you will be a part of is whether you will live in biblical community with others. So how about you? Do you really wanna pursue Christ fully in this next year? Do you want him to shape you into the man or the woman that he's he's called you to be? Do you wanna be used by him in a greater way, in a way that's bigger than yourself, in a way that might impact someone else's eternity? Then trust Christ by taking a step towards biblical community in this next year. Trust Christ enough to take a step towards biblical community. Now, I know in, this, in a room like this, different people are gonna be in different places. For some people, this step towards biblical community might look a little different than others. For some of you, if you're not connected at all, this first step towards biblical community is gonna be getting in a group. First step is gonna be getting in a group. If you leave today and you go out these center doors and turn just slightly to the left, you will find men and women at the Connection Center that would love to help you get connected with a group that maybe is in, your, in the similar walk of life as you, somewhere where you could fit, whether it is a, a men's group, whether it is a women's group, whether it is a connection group, whether it is a support group, maybe you've experienced loss and you haven't really been able to find someone that could identify with that. Maybe getting involved with something like Grief Share or getting involved with something like Celebrate Recovery would be a good next step for you. So if you're not in community, the first step for you would be getting into a group some of, us, some of us are already in a group and we'd say, yeah, okay, well, I'm already in a group. What about me? Well, if you're someone that comes to group every third or fourth week and you kind of sit back in the back and you don't tend to say a whole lot, then for you, I would say your next step is really getting to know people, to try to be intentional about that, to try to get together with people, grab a lunch, grab a coffee, grab something where you can have some time to truly get to know someone and allow yourself to be known. Maybe that's what that step looks like for you. Some of you might say, okay, I'm already in the group and I'm connected. To you, I would say, well, maybe there are some of the one another's of scripture that you haven't taken that step of faith to practice yet. Maybe you're not praying for your community like you could be. Maybe you've never tried confessing your sins to one another and really seen the benefit that can come from that. I would encourage you, if, if you haven't tried some of these one another's, maybe a step of faith for you is trying them. And for others of you that have fully embraced biblical community and say, yes, I am living this. I have seen the transformation in my life. I've seen the transformation in others. I have embraced this gift of community. To you, I would say, then help point other people to it. Help be a catalyst through which other people could find biblical community. But regardless of where you are, my encouragement this morning is to trust Christ by taking a step towards biblical community. And I promise you that when you do, you are gonna see his hand at work in an unmistakable way and you're gonna leave being transformed.